Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1057. I hope you're staying safe and healthy out there. I uh, I hope these podcasts can provide some continued distraction for you. I have a lot stacking up. I'm recording a ton of them. So, you know, maybe I'll be posting more than once a week. You know, you got time to listen to them. So uh, I'm why not? More content, more distraction. Uh, but I appreciate you and thank you. Thank you for listening. And again, just sending all of the good vibes and hugs in the world and, and hoping you're doing all right. Let's talk about the ID10T community corkboard events at ID10T.com. Like Corey, who writes, you're always motivating and inspiring others to go out and make a thing. Yes, make a thing. Well, we did. Good. Following the Create Work for Yourself trail, uh, the Always Sunny guys, Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, Danny McBride, and Jody Hillblazed, my best friend and I developed a television series. We then wrote, cast, shot, and edited a full-length 30-minute episode using local talent here in Nashville, Tennessee, with him directing it. Fantastic. Uh, and me acting in it. No production company, just us phoning in favors, maxing out credit cards. We just released the trailer for the episode. Would love to spread the word as we attempt to solicit a pitch meeting in Hollywood in a Hollywood-fueled world that will not accept unsolicited material. Based on a true story comedy infused drama about a group of bowling alley employees, love it already, attempting to navigate the pitfalls of life while dealing with the nightly craziness of their work environment. It's called The Alley. The trailer can be viewed by searching The Alley Official Trailer, The Alley Official Trailer on Vimeo. Well done. Congratulations. That is making a thing. That's what we keep talking about. Like, we have the technology to make stuff and put it out there. You couldn't have done this like 20 years ago. So, this is great. Great, great, great. This is what I'm always talking about. And the fact that you've made it about a bowling alley only sweetens the pot. More bowling-themed things, I say. More bowling-themed things. So congratulations and well done, Corey. Um, This episode is Eric Stone Street, who is a sweetheart of a human being. He's been on the podcast before. He's promoting the series finale, series finale of Modern Family. I know Jesse Tyler Ferguson was on a handful of weeks back. Um, And now Eric is on the – this is posting Tuesday, April 7th. The series finale of Modern Family is Wednesday, April 8th at 8 p.m. That is so strange to think. I think 11 years, right? Oh, my God, so long. But they are now in the the pantheon of great, all-time great sitcoms. Such an incredible accomplishment. And from everything that I've heard, just everyone on the show is delightful. And uh, and it just it just sounds like a nice group. So I am excited for them uh, to be doing new things in their lives, but also understand the the heartbreak of, you know, not doing a thing anymore that you've been doing for so, so, so long. But congratulations on 11 seasons and for making such a great show. Uh, this is episode 1057 of the ID10T podcast with Eric Stone Street. Oh, by the way, um, these, you know, I was, I was, a, I had a, a hard line in the sand about how I'll never do podcasts unless I'm sitting in front of a person because that's how conversations need to be. Obviously, this has forced us to rethink that. And I've been recording a bunch via conferencing software on the computer, and they've been great. Most of them have been video. This one was actually just audio. This was actually just like talking on the phone with my pal Eric Stone Street. Uh, and the audio quality is is getting better. And uh, but it it totally worked. Like it was exactly the same. It felt exactly the same as just being in front of each other. So I have now softened my the line in the sand about having to be in front of each other and this opens up a whole new world 
of people that I might be able to get on the podcast that either couldn't do it before because they didn't live in L.A. or weren't coming to town to do press or their schedule was too crazy. Now this just opens up a whole new realm of internationalness. So uh, I am very excited. Uh, This is episode 1057, as I said. Eric Stone Street, let's roll the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol. to the new normal yes <laughs> crazy <laughs> I, I mean i don't know what other words to use other than crazy <coughs> i just <coughs> inhaled water down the wrong pipe hang on all right good <clears throat> all right i can breathe again i got excited i took a swig of water and then i started laughing and so uh, uh that is sort of the that is sort of the weird thing now where uh if you have a cough or whatever, you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I swear to God, I'm fine. Yeah, you certainly don't want to be anywhere and cough or be on the phone like I, well, just what happened to you. I've done a couple interviews about the end of Modern Family and then I've coughed and you can hear the reporter be like, are you okay? Is it what, what's, are, are, you're fine, right? <laughs> I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I swear to God, I'm fine. Um, well, yes. now, especially with the aller- – like the, I have really bad seasonal aller- allergies in L.A. and now everything's blooming and so – I've got all the all the symptoms of something other than, you know, what I would normally think it was any other year, allergies. Uh so that's that's also a weird thing. Yeah, it's allergy season, it's cold flu, it's 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 flu, cold season, flu season. I I I literally take Claritin like every day of my life. I, normally because, you know, I have a deviated septum and I have allergies. I don't know what they are, but I'm definitely allergic to stuff. And so uh it is that sort of it is that sort of weird thing of like you get in your head and you go I think that no I don't yeah no I think that might I think that's allergies <laughs> yeah but uh, how are you otherwise good man it's uh, good just you know quarantined down hunkered in uh, you know one of my favorite movies of all time is Red Dawn oh my god the first PG thirteen movie yep and. Uh, when this started, I was making jokes about like Wolverine and Red Dawn and all that, but now it's 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 not the Russians coming; it's the it's the virus coming. So you know, we're all hunkered in our position with our supplies. We raided the stores, and just like they all did, they they got their supplies, got on horseback, and rode to the mountains. Except uh, I got in my Ford F one hundred and fifty and rode back to Toluca Lake. So it's all good. <laughs> But of course, like C. Thomas Howell, you jumped up on the fender and peed into the radiator, right? Is that yeah, how that worked? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, if, if I if I remember that movie correctly, that was a that was such a unique time in in cinema that they created for our generation a rating so that we could have uh, a, something specific to us. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's 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 long been one of my favorite movies. Such so many good actors in that, and um, I have I have in my what a room in my house some of my favorite movies posters, and that's that's one of them. Oh my god, that's great! Have you 
I would imagine you must have met a ton of that cast, right? Who, uh, who, yeah, all, that. Was, who all was in that movie? See Thomas Howell, of course, I remember Patrick Swayze in the movie. Who else was in that movie? Um, uh, Jennifer Grey. Uh-huh. Uh, you bring it up on IMDb. Um, I'm bringing it up. I'm bringing it up right you know, now. You know who the only person I met in Red Dawn was and has passed away is, um, the colonel that gets killed on the tank, um, and was in Deadwood. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Red Dawn. I'm pulling up the IMDb page right now. I'm so bad with names. Patrick Swayze, C. Thomas Howell, Leah Thompson, of course, Charlie Sheen, Jennifer Grey, uh, Harry Dean Stanton, Ron O'Neill, Brad Savage. Keep going. Darren Dalton. Powers Booth. That's what I'm thinking of. How can you forget a name like Powers Powers Booth? Uh, But I met Powers Booth at a Dodgers game um, one time. I was walking by and he stopped me and and introduced himself to me and – uh, I I was able to reflect like him on the, the the gun of that tank, and I think his dying words were "Give him hell." Uh, <laughs> yeah, because there are a couple of those actors who played such great grizzled characters. Michael Ironside is also someone I adore. He was Starship also Troop- the grizzled guy in Starship Troopers, you know, and uh, was great on the podcast a few years ago. So it's it is. Those types of characters, I mean, do you envision a time where you're like, you know what, I want to go to that part of my career where I just get to play, like, pissed-off generals or military guys who are fucked over by the system and now they're telling the kids, like, you kids don't know shit. Like, that seems like a fun character to play. Absolutely. I can't wait for for those those types of characters to come along. I mean, those were always, you know, my favorite actors coming up – that I always envisioned that those were the, I, I would need to wait for my sort of baby face to catch up with, with my age, you know, as far as I thought my career would be, you know, later in my life anyway. So, um, I'm, I'm always, I'm always looking forward to those. Uh, That's an those. interesting thought that you thought your career would be later in life. I remember when I was younger and I was first trying to start working, my dad said, you know, Buddy Epson didn't make it till he was 55. And I remember thinking, is that supposed to make me feel better in some way? <laughs> what am I going to do between now and then? <laughs> exactly. So he had a bunch of years where shit just didn't work out. But now that I am getting older, I'm like, you know what? I think I kind of get it because you spend more of your life older than you do younger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I always, you know, when I was auditioning for stuff, uh, you know, before Modern Family for the 10 or 12 years, whatever it was, I never felt like I would get these parts for, to play dads of, you know, two kids or whatever. And it never felt inherently like right for me. It never felt like, not because I was this youthful spry, you know, guy, but I, I just never felt connected to that kind of part. And I always just would think like, Oh, well I'll I'll probably play a dad later, um, in, in my career or those kinds of roles. My favorite character on TV ever was Andy Sipowitz. And so I just, uh, Dennis Franz on NYPD totally. blues. I, I always thought like that would be what, what, that's what I aspired to be. And I thought, well, I gotta be at least in my late forties to be able to do you that. Have to, you have to mature into your cop years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now, now that, I mean, listen, it, 
The rarefied air that y'all have been in for Modern Family, by the way, which I think represents kind of the end of a sitcom era. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... I, I mean, I'm talking to people, like, from Big Bang, too. It just feels like, you guys just got in under the wire. You know? 100%. When sitcoms were like. still, like, things that people would gather around and watch, and they would go into syndication, and they would become these phenomenon, and now... You know, just since that since that started, media has just become so splintered. Like, oh, I don't know. You know, are those are those days over? Will there be another kind of like iconic sitcom that will like pull the country together? I have no idea. Well, you know, everything's cyclical. You know, so maybe it needed to get to that place so that in a few years we'll be able to harken back to the those olden days of sitcoms. You know, like everything's you know, on a, on a merry-go-round in a sense, when we came along, you know, it was the family comedy, you know, was kind of at the end of its little run there as far as everybody loves Raymond and some of the other shows, the more traditional, just sort of straightforward family comedy sitcoms. And you had the, the office and the 30 rock and those shows that are so great, but they weren't like family type shows that we grew up watching, you know, whether it be the Cosby show or family ties or whatever. So when we came along, it was time for something like that to happen. And now we're going away. And, you know, I think networks as it goes forward, I'm certainly not in that business, but as far as linear television goes, I mean, I think eventually they're going to have to, you know, change or they're changing now, but they're, then they're going to want to readapt. And the readaption might be to come on back. Remember those days of sitcoms? Right. I think it'll come back eventually. Yeah. I mean, I think I, 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 I tend to agree with you mainly because when you see the kinds of numbers that on Netflix, the office friends, like these, these older sitcoms are getting, the audiences are there. You know, maybe there's a nostalgia factor that is kind of drawing people in, but at the same time, it's not like it's not like our society is is like you know what, uh, no more comedy, we're good. It's like people are always going to want comedy. Right. It's just a question of you know what's it you know what's it gonna look like, and I think that's you know especially now though the, the television business was changing so much before, but now that everything is so. Uh, topsy-turvy, it's like, oh, well, what's this going to do to the already evolving system? Well, and, and you know, the, the compliment or the nice statements that people would make to me and us, you know, through Modern Family, and a lot of it began, be, began to be a reflection of how family units, like, consume television and entertainment, which was, hey, your show's the only show we all sit around the TV and watch. And I used to think, like, the emphasis wasn't on TV, but the emphasis really became about a living room with this thing on the wall or on a TV stand that was a TV versus the family splintered and Bobby watching YouTube and Jane watching Netflix and mom and dad doing this. Everybody disjointed together on their own devices, watching their own their own platforms. And so that compliment really became about like, this is the thing that brings us back to the living room, you know, and watch, we watch it as a family on a, on a TV. Yeah. And it's so strange to think that it's sort of the, the good and it's like the positive and the negative, I guess it sort of balances out, but the idea that, yeah, it's great that everyone can have their specific entertainment needs met 
no matter how, no matter like to the most molecular degree. And isn't that great that there aren't just like three networks or four networks anymore, you know, deeming what is worthy for people to watch and they don't have any other choice. Like choice is good. But at the same time, like you're right, everything's so splintered. It's like it, in as much as it's nicheified, it's also, you know, we've all sort of become isolated from one another in ways because we don't. They're, we're not real motivated to like, oh, you watch that. I'm going to watch this. You know, I've got yeah. my Nintendo Switch here. You're watching that thing over there. You know, maybe later we'll meet up for five minutes. Like it's, it is a that that's the part that I that I don't know if it, if we're ever going to go back. Well, and then you add a virus where we're required to socially distance, and we could be really fucked. Totally, but I do think that the positive part about the internet is that it is creating a desire in people to want and need to reconnect. I mean, we took a lot of stuff for granted, you know, like we just going to the fucking store or being able to just go to the post office or just go, go anywhere. And now that, you know, that's been taken away to a degree. I wonder if people are going to be like, you know what? It actually was a good thing to meet people in real life. We've had a little bit of IRL taken away from us. And so maybe hopefully we can, you know, a thing that might come out of all this horribleness is our, a reappreciation for IRL things and connecting with people. I mean, I'm envisioning the time when I go to like a diner that I like to go to for breakfast for the first time, whenever that yeah. is, and looking around and seeing everyone like, guys, we're here. Isn't this amazing? You know, just like that appreciation I'm so excited about. Well, yeah, I think there's going to, there's inevitably going to be some great things come out of this. And I think you're right that we're all going to, hopefully maybe appreciate uh, being with one another and not just being connected through devices and and things like that. But I also think when we all eventually get back together, uh, there's going to be some, some social ramifications that are positive, which is, you know, we're going to learn to stay home when you're sick. Like if you're not feeling good, go ahead and stay home. Like that's, that's okay. There's no guilt or there's no shame in that anymore where so many people felt like, well, they were weak if they, if they didn't go to work, if they had the flu. Well, now we know that like you can kill somebody with a virus if you go to work with, uh, that you're not feeling that you have or don't know you have. Well, I think, I, I think it's also, I think it's also on the part of the employers as employers to say to people like your job is not in danger if you yes. don't come in because you're not feeling good. Like people feeling, you know, like they have to go in because they don't want to miss a beat because they want to seem like they're doing a good job. It's sort of like our obsession in this culture with like working yourself to death is somehow like an honor, like a medal of honor. And hopefully employers will go, you know what? There are more important things in the world like life. So you stay home. Your job is not in danger. It's okay. Or it's okay to work remotely if you need to, you know, like maybe that's the thing that will kind of um, fold into our culture that will, for people who are able to, to, to do that. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's still, it's still very early, but, um, but, but that is, that is also my, my hope. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how these corporations and big companies or small businesses that employ 30, 40 people see the productivity of their employees through working remotely and how that will inevitably change their business moving forward after this. It's like, you know, there, there may there there may be a, a ton of cost benefits and people able, you know, you've seen all the studies of how much 
more pr productive people are when they do work from home and can, you know, there are people that just work better from the hours of midnight to three in the morning, you know, right. get their stuff done. And, but they're confined to nine to five, uh, daily work. And, and so hopefully, you know, again, it's the, there's going to be a societal shift, a paradigm shift in a lot of different things because of this. And it's going to be, uh, the positive is it's going to be exciting to see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, you know, the, the situation's awful. I mean, it is, um, you know, the situation itself is not positive, but what can we do? What can we spin out of this thing that we can't control? And is there anything good that we can learn from it so that we can do better the next time and maybe avoid this and also listen to each other more, you know? So I, I don't know. It is, it is, it is kind of odd. I mean, even, you know, even doing podcasts this way is strange, but I have to say so far, I'm actually, it feels great. Like talking to you just sort of feels like, Oh, it's like talking on the phone, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it, feel, it yeah. feels okay. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, change anything on my end. I, 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 I love you the same. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Gosh, I love you the same. What Thank if you, you can, uh, I know you guys shot cause, um, Jesse was on the podcast a few – I think you guys were still shooting a couple more episodes at that point. But have you had any sort of time to process, decompress, um, you know, do you need some more distance between you and the last episode before you are able to kind of really sort of feel what all of it means to you? You know, I don't. I don't think it's that. I think. I think next year, or you know, in the end of the summer, when we would be normally going back to work, that's when it's going to sort of have a next, the next wave of emotion, because you know we stopped working, and we all kind of went our own direction. We kind of went and did our own thing. Then this happened. So there's there's been an adequate amount of distraction of thinking like, oh, it's over, over. You know, when I watch the episode uh, in next week, April 8th, I think is when it's on, you know, um, and that happens. I, I I'm sure I'll have a wave of emotion then. But I think the main wave for me will be when it's OK. All right, guys. <laughs> Hiatus is over. Let's all go back to what? There's no more work. That's when it's going to sort of really truly sink in that um this group of people um that we were so i mean so fortunate to be with uh with our cast and our crew we're not that we're not going to get back together and, and shoot this show again after 11 years that's that's a that's a that will be the fin final wave of emotion 11 years is really a long time i mean <laughs> i think most people don't do things for 11 years i mean that is a that is a like that that show was almost a teenager, you know. Like that's a that's a strange when when something is that much of a pattern in your life. How many seasons? I always love to ask people who are on long running shows. How many seasons into the show were you before you were like, you know what? I think we're probably going to be good for a while without that sort of season to season. I don't know. Are we going to get the pickup? Are we going to get the back nine? What's happening? Well, two things there. Think about the think about. Rico and Nolan and Ariel, they, their whole 
childhood into their young adulthood was on the show. Right. And the easiest way to imagine how long we've been on that I tell people is Nolan and Rico, when we first got the job, they were building forts and playing Nerf gun wars on the stage. And when we finished the show, they're each driving more expensive cars than I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a strange when you when you contextualize time in that way because I mean to you and me ten or eleven years like you know we were very much adults eleven years ago we're still very much adults and it sort of it goes like that but when you think of how much a person can grow in that time it is it is kind of strange yeah and then as far as the show you know when I knew it's it's a couple different. Um, moments where I thought we're going to be okay. Um, You know, the first for me really thinking and allowing myself and sort of breaking my own rules, all of our own rules as performers of letting the cart get before the horses, you know, um, and getting too excited about something before it's appropriate to be excited about it. I broke my own rule when I was driving down Ventura Boulevard. I was on my way to eat at a Cuban restaurant in Encino called Versailles. I had two friends in the car. And I get an unavailable call on my phone. I answer and I say, hello. And he goes, Eric. I said, yeah, Ed O'Neill. I said, hey, Ed. Now, you have to understand, I just worked with him for a few days. I didn't know Ed O'Neill. I didn't have his number. Didn't know he had my number. He calls me and he says, Eric, I just watched the show. It's fantastic. You're fantastic. We're all fucking great. <laughs> that was a, did I just get in a car accident and this is my body leaving? This is my soul leaving my body. Is this a real thing that's happening? Yeah, exactly. So I say, Ed, amazing. I, I mean, you don't know what this, this call means to me. He said, Eric, listen. If we aren't on the air for the next 10 years, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing in this business. Oh, my God. That's incredible. And so it was after that. First of all, my friend's mouths were agape, jaws on the bottom of the truck floor. And I I, I end the phone call and I just was giddy. I thought, well, listen. I've I've been in a couple pilots. I allowed myself to get excited on one of them and it didn't get picked up. I've known for years how <clears throat> it's 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 foolish to let yourself, you know, get too excited, but you know what? I'm going to yield to the TV veteran Ed O'Neill here, and I'm going to allow him to let myself allow his words to let myself get excited. If he says we're going to be on 10 years, like that's got to mean something. Like why would he take the time to call me and tell me that? Like why would he think that? So I allowed myself to go there in that moment. Then the next the next moment of thinking, okay, we've got something here was when I got a copy of the pilot and I took it home to Kansas City and I told my mom and dad, I said invite as many of your friends as you want. As many people that you want will do, you know, a couple screenings of it down in the, the, the basement of their house, have a picnic and let people see it. And I watched all my mom and dad's middle-aged Kansas City people watch that pilot and not just laugh at me, but laugh at all the right places, all the good places that I was surprised that they were laughing at. And I remember typing an email to Chris and Steve and I said, I can, 
Chris and Steve are the producers and creators of the show. I said, I can report from the breadbasket that we are funny. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, that is basically you had the ultimate um, uh, focus group. Yo, it was it was incredible to watch them laugh, you know, and you're also showing them a pilot where I'm bending their minds of little Eric that they've known for years you know, who was a funny kid or whatever, who moved out to Hollywood to be an actor, and now all of a sudden is playing, portraying a gay man on TV. So I'm watching their reaction to that as well. Um, so that was the, the two moments that I thought. But then I had an actor buddy of mine, Kurt Fuller, who's a great character actor I was in a play with years ago. And when I got the job, I called him, and I was so nervous uh, about the table reads. And I said, Kurt, when can I relax? Like, when am I going to be able to relax into this job? Cause I'd heard so many, as you have so many stories of people getting fired from jobs and you just don't want to be that person. So <clears throat> he told me, and I'll never forget. He said, season four, season four is when, you know, you can just, they're not going to fire you, uh, in your, the job is yours, you know, which is a tongue in cheek answer, but also a, a little bit of just the actors neuroses of like, well, I've, I've got, I've been here long enough now. They can't get rid of me now. Oh, right. <laughs> They're not going to write you off after season four. That's right. a great thing about a sitcom. I mean, if you're on like Game of Thrones or Walking Dead or anything, you know that once you get that job, the, like an hourglass flips over and you don't know when, but it, there's a likelihood that as uh, like on a scripted drama like that, that you could go, but on a sitcom, once they find the winning formula, they know like comedy is hard. Once we find that formula, we're not going to fuck with it because it's working. Yeah. Well, Jesse says in interviews, I've heard him say, you know, cause he, they had asked him to audition for cam first. And one of the reasons he didn't want to audition for cam was because he wasn't part of the core family. My character was married into the family and he thought, well, they could always get rid of that character if they wanted to. So, you know, I always had that in the back of my head, too, as far as uh, they could they, they could uh, figure out a way where Mitch and Cam don't make it or I mean, it is a modern family. People get divorced or don't stay together. So I was always a little worried in, until, again, you know, that once we were a hit and we all started winning awards and getting nominated for things, then I was like, OK, well, we're going to be here for a while. Well, I, first of all, so two things. Number one, I'm. It, it's probably good that you didn't do this. Might have been funny when Ed O'Neill called you out of the blue and then said, Eric, you were great on the show. If you had said, how the fuck did you get this number? And then hung up. I just think that <laughs> could have been funny. A funny story. Maybe not in the moment. Right. Um, and second of all. Oh, and by the way, Ed O'Neill, now that I think about it, he's been on two like genre redefining sitcoms. Like. Two, it's hard enough to even get one show, but to be on two shows that completely break the mold for what a popular sitcom can be is pretty remarkable. Well, yeah, I mean, he, la I mean, Married with Children la launched Fox Network. Yeah, I Married mean, with Children and The Simpsons, like, are the reason Fox is a network. Right, and then with 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 Modern Family, you know. Uh, we were the flagship of that network for 11 years, basically. So he's a legend. There's no doubt about it. And a great guy. I, I, if you've never asked for him to be on your podcast, you should. Um, he's a great storyteller. You just let him go. Um, 
He has wonderful stories. He can't remember anyone's names, which is really <laughs> fun. In 1996, I did two episodes of Married with Children. It was a two-parter. And I think I still get a penny check from it every once in a while. And the thing that struck me the most about being on that set, they had been on for years at that point, was just how great everyone was, not just to each other, but to the guest performers as well. It was Everyone was so warm and just, it was, it was such a friendly set. I remember it being an incredibly friendly set. And that to me is like, there are a lot of things that we can't control in this business, which was going to fold into one of the other things that I was going to mention a, a few minutes ago. But we certainly can't control whether shows get picked up, whether people watch shows, anything, any of those external things. We can certainly control, like, what kind of a set experience is it, you know? And so that, I think, when young actors or young performers start in this business, it's like, try to remember that because... You can't control whether a show's going to get picked up, but if you have like good experiences, people love working with you, you create good warm environments, chances are the show's either going to stay around, you're going to work more, or it's just going to be a great experience for whatever time you have while you're doing it. Well, yeah, that's how I always and what I always tell actors when they're auditioning for things. It's like chances are you're probably not going to get the part, but you have a 100 percent chance to go in and make a great impression and have fun and be yourself and make a make a moment for yourself and hopefully make a moment and a memory for the casting director or the producers that are in the room. Uh, and it's 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 the same thing. It's um you know, the, the other thing with being on a show for so long is it inevitably becomes a job, and that's not taking anything away or sort of diminishing the 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 pay that we get or the notoriety or just the fun or the perks of what it is to be on a TV show. But you – at some point, it shifts over into what time do I have to be there and how late are we going to be there? You know, that just happens in human nature, and then your goal as a performer on a show is to – push through those moments, get back into the, I can't believe I'm here. I'm so lucky to be here land and move on. But, um, that's, that becomes the struggle with, uh, things. And you, you know, you, then you also on a show like ours, see how we had a, a reputation of, of shooting really fast and, uh, not making, you know, horse and pony shows out of every single shot that we would do and taking forever to do stuff. So, once you see, oh, well, this is how you can shoot. This is how it could go. When it doesn't, you get frustrated. And you're like, well, what's different? Why, are, why aren't we shooting like we have those 135 other episodes where we're not strangling each other? And the, we're not, you know, finessing the light for every second of every moment of every shot, you know. So you do find, <laughs> for me at least, I found my moments of frustration – uh, doing things, but then you push through them and think this is the best job in the whole wide world. And I can't believe I get to do this for a living. And now let us take a quick pause as we thank our sponsor for this episode of the ID10T podcast, Philo. Um, so if you love television, but your cable bill is a lot, I mean, there, I don't know, was it like one, 150 
almost 200 a month sometimes. Philo is live and on demand for just 20 bucks a month. It's the best way to watch The Walking Dead or Talking Dead or Doctor Who, South Park, SpongeBob, classics like The Office, Friends, Law and Order, anything else that you can't miss on the networks that you love, like AMC, BBC America, Comedy Central, MTV, and more than 50 others. You will save $100 a month on TV. Uh, it was created by a bunch of passionate TV fans that just wanted to make a better way to watch and they've done it. There's no contracts. It's cord-free. It's commitment-free, hassle-free, and unparalleled customer service. Philo has an unlimited DVR and over 40,000 titles on demand. Save all your favorite shows so you can watch on your own schedule. You can have multiple profiles, multiple streams. Everyone in their house can have their own save shows on up to three simultaneous streams. You will never have to fight over who gets to pick what to watch, what to watch. Again, very easy to use. You can watch from your phone, laptop, tablet, TV, Roku, Fire TV, Apple TV, Android TV, whatever. So now more than ever, Philo believes the TV, great TV, shouldn't cost an arm and a leg. It should be accessible to everyone. And saving money shouldn't mean giving up the shows and channels that you love. So sign up today at philo.tv slash ID10T and you're going to get 25% off your first two months. That's philo, P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash ID10T. And now let us gently glide back into the ID10T podcast. Yeah, and that that other thing that I was kind of leaning toward was about this, you mentioned like that sort of anxiety of, you know, um, when you can kind of settle down and calm down about, okay, I think I'm okay for a while, but the business, I feel like our business is so volatile that we do kind of trick ourselves into thinking like, oh, I have, you know, there's never really any security in, in, you know, with, I mean, you just sort of look at like what happened with, like, you know, Conan taking over The Tonight Show, and then all of a sudden he wasn't doing The Tonight Show anymore. It's like, how how would anyone have foreseen that? And he still was able to spin something, you know, good out of it afterwards. But it almost kind of seems like, is you know, is the trick to just accept to never try? Like, how do we get to a place where we just never stress about stuff? Because it's like, well, it doesn't matter whether you stress or not, because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Well, Yeah. But I think people that find success in life, and I, I don't want to make our business seem any more um, difficult than other businesses, although I think at times it is. Um, the people that find success in life and in our business, their nature is to worry. Our nature is to stress. Otherwise, I mean, I just don't think like a lot of really take it easy, bro. Everything's <laughs> going to be OK. I, I don't know that those people are either authentic, A, I, I don't know that they're always that way, or B, I don't know that those kinds of people find even the, the true potential of their own abilities. Exhibit right? A, McConaughey, but he might be the outlier. But but you can't tell me McConaughey doesn't have a drive and a force inside of him that is the opposite of that that persona that we all know him for. He has to have the drive. Of There's course, no of way course. he is as successful as he is without having something operating opposite of what you think he is absolutely there's there's no doubt that that there's a fire that has to exist right but it's but i guess i've never really verbalized it in this way but it's but it is kind of an interesting thing for me to ruminate on for the next several years but 
it's like what what is the fuel like what what chunks of fuel are you throwing into that fire is it anxiety you know is it worry is it fear is it anger is it hope is it something positive is it inspiration to create something new and it's like what are the you know the fire is necessary there's no question otherwise you wouldn't you just wouldn't do anything because you wouldn't right. feel the need to be motivated to do anything but I guess it's what what fuel blocks are we using for that fire? And maybe that's something that everyone really has to stop, analyze their fire and figure out like what's underneath it and is that healthy and is that working and is that the best fuel and what can I do to make that better? But that uh, I never really thought of it that way before. Think about think about this. Think about this, too. Like think about um, when people ask you this question and maybe I'm sure you've been asked this a lot. I, I have. Did, did you always know you were going to be famous? Think about that question, the root of that question. Yeah. Did, you know, and so my answer has evolved over the years because I, I never I never thought of it as always being famous. I always thought of it as I would find my my own s- success. And with what comes along with success in this business you t- for people in front of the camera – Fame comes along with that money. You know, people ask the same thing. Well, did you, what's it like having, did you always just want to be rich or something like that? It's like, well, no, those aren't the motivating factors, but the, the epitome of success in our business comes, what comes along with that is a lot of times it's fame and then also being paid well, right? Those two things happen, but think about all the times between when you started in this business, I think about it all the time. And when you define like, oh, I made it or I'm successful now. All the times you were told no. Totally. And all, all the times that it didn't seem like you were ever going to find that success. So what was it that you possessed? What is it that I possessed that said, you know what? I'm going to keep going. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it up. And those things, the the anxiety, the fear, the fear of disappointment, the fear of of rejection, all those things become motivation and fuel to to keep pushing through it. So I don't I don't know what feeds that fire, but I think it's you know pride, ego, um, the willingness to prove you know to others that you can do it. Um, your parents, people that you know look up to. Um, because there is something other than insanity. Well, yeah, because I mean, human beings are not programmed to enjoy massive amounts of rejection. (laughs) Like it's just not a part of what, what we're supposed to, you know, it's like some rejection, but yeah, in this business and also it's, it's, it's rejection, but it's rejection it's like you are being personally rejected. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you are putting yourself out there. I mean, you know, public speaking is obviously like one of, you know, in general humanities in the top sort of like anxiety fears is public speaking because no one wants to be rejected. And yet we thrust ourselves into this business. But I wonder if it's simple, if it's kind of analogous to, so we have a puppy that we've had for a month and, um, uh, Ryan Hurst, who's on, on Walking Dead, is a, a really dear friend of mine, and he is a, also a dog trainer. He and his wife train animals. 
And he is very, uh, you know, like very spiritual. He does yoga and he's, you know, and so his kind of, um, his, his training philosophy is not like, you know, don't alpha the dog, but it's a system of positive reinforcement using treats. When you recognize positive behavior, you reward that and you ignore the bad behavior, you know, so that it doesn't get attention, so that it doesn't thrive. And I, I, I wonder if that's sort of in, in the same way, it's like we get these little breadcrumbs of positive reinforcement, you know, whether in the beginning it's a callback or a producer session or a studio session. And that, that is enough reinforcement in the beginning to go, okay, I need, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go in that direction. Cause I get more of that, you know, the danger I think comes from where humans are, which is, I think there's no amount that's ever enough for most people. There's, you know, you think you get to a certain point and you go, oh, then I'm going to feel whole. And it's like, no, you have, how many people you know that have like as more than they ever thought they would dream of having. And yet they're like, yeah, but I still don't have this. Yeah, but then there's this. Yeah, but then there's this. And it's like, fuck, you get, you know, at what point do you stop moving the goalpost? Well, yeah, and I think that's what I was saying. It's like it's not in the nature of someone who achieves and finds the success because what motivated them to get to where they are, where you are, those things don't just go away. They you they just they keep fueling you because so many people will say to me, you know, that I know or I've grown up with, it's like, oh man, just gonna live sit and live on your residual checks the rest of your life. It's like, well, I mean. How fulfilling could that possibly be not to be contributing anything, you know, to the world? I'm like, that's not my nature. That's not the nature that got me to the place where you can ask me that question, right? I I still have something inside me that has something that wants to prove something, whether it be in this business, whether it be outside of this business or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. I'm not worried about it. I think it will come because my philosophy with my career always was what you were just talking about, which is I'm just going to keep stumbling forward. And when I'll know, I'll know when the callbacks don't come anymore, when the producer sessions don't come anymore, when, when, when nothing happens, I always felt like I was a realistic enough person and had enough self-reflective moments with myself, either in the shower or on the toilet or falling asleep at night, wherever you have those private moments with yourself. I always felt I was realistic enough to know that I would know like, okay, Eric, now you are defining the word insanity. You're doing the same thing and expecting a different result every day. So you need to figure something else out. And I never, I never wanted to tether myself to the business in that way. I was never a guy was, that was like, I'm going to give this until August 31st, 2001. And if I don't make it, I'm, you know, like I never thought of it. I just thought I never thought of it that way. But something else you said earlier about all the rejection – that I look back and realize that I didn't know I was doing at the time. I stayed out of relationships. I, I, I really blocked myself off of meaningful relationships with people while I was a struggling actor. And I think a psychologist and me self prescribing my uh, diagnosing myself, I think what you said is exactly what it is, is I had enough rejection in my professional life that I also didn't want to bring rejection or what I thought of perceived would be rejection into my personal life. And I really, truly avoided having meaningful 
uh, relationships throughout my trying to make it phase of my career. And it wasn't until I was on Modern Family and felt safe and secure and like was making money that I felt confident enough and, and, and felt like good enough about myself to be like, I can provide for someone. I could I can be in a situation where I, I can buy, you know, a home and buy dinner and buy this and not worry about like saying, well, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm an actor. Oh, well, what restaurant do you work at? It's like, ah, good one. Right. Uh, you wanted to feel stable because you felt that yeah. that was bringing the best version of yourself to uh, a relationship. Well, and it was my model. I mean, my dad was a provider, man. I mean, he worked his ass off in a completely different, you know, world. He owned his own business and unloaded and loaded his own trucks and stocked his shelves. I mean, he was, he was just a worker. So, and, and we didn't want for anything as a kid. It didn't mean we got everything we wanted, but we, you know, there, we, we weren't hungry and we weren't poor and we, you know, and it was because I could literally watch my dad make our family money. So growing up with that, <clears throat> I just always was insecure about like being a provider and, I think that walled me off a lot in my personal life of those, you know, 12, 12 years before Modern Family. Wow. Well, I, 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 I'm always interested in the idea of like, how do we, how do we make ourselves okay with ourselves without having to rely on the external things that happen in the world, you know? Especially now where the world is sort of forcing us to live in the present, live day to day, focus on one day at a time, you know, because everything's just changing so fast as, as you know, as information pours in. How do we how do we just be OK with us and not have to pin it on whether or not, you know, we get this job or that validation or this thing or you know, we make this amount of money or this anything, like, how do we just say, you know what, I'm fine with me, whatever else happens is going to happen. And that's just life. And, you know, you can either navigate it turbulently and be miserable, or you can just somehow embrace that ride and be okay with, you know, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. That's, you know, like we, we sort of create the illusion that we know that anyway. So how do we just be okay with that? Would be a great TV show, right? To be able to tune in to the alternate version of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like some Rick and Morty shit, like watching a, watching an interdimensional cable channel of the alternate version of your life and then going, Oh, okay. So I won't make this choice and this choice. I'll do this. I'll go this way. You know? Because I, I, you know, I wish I could tell you that I would be living a fulfilled, happy life. And I think, I think I would have, I think I would have found something, but Modern Family and that specific job and for any actor, any, any actor that, that, you know, lands something like that, it's impossible to know, like, because when I read that script, for example, Chris, like I was so, I wanted to be a part of it so bad. And again, I allowed myself to break that rule that we all set for ourselves. It's like, don't become attached to anything. You're probably not going to get it, but I allowed myself to get attached to it. So I know somebody who auditioned for a role on Modern Family and when they didn't get the part, 
they called and told me that they don't think they they didn't think they could be friends with me anymore because I was going to be on that show. Oh whoa! Oh my gosh! And it was just too much of a reminder of how much they wanted the. Oh my god! But but we all we've all felt that way, and then our training and our experience teaches us you can't you're going to be so unhappy if that's how you live your life because my success doesn't take away from anyone else's possibility of being successful in Absolutely. our business it, it 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 there's it just doesn't work that way and it's hard to get around that you know when i first was in a, an actor in chicago uh, the first moment i had of learning that and learning how you how to pick your friends in this business that are doing the same thing is you know you're inevitably in a group of people that are all kind of doing the same things and you'd all see each other at auditions and then they would check in on you. Hey, what'd you hear? Did you hear anything about that Hardy's commercial? Did you hear anything about that industrial? And then you'd say, Oh, I, you know, I got a call back. And then there were two kinds of people in your life. The people that would be like, awesome, man. That's so, that's great. Congratulations. And then there were the people that would say, God damn it. Oh yeah. And I remember thinking like, okay, I have to, A, never be the goddammit guy for other people, which was never my nature, but also eliminate the goddammit people out of my life because that, they're to- that's, tox- that's toxicity. That's, that's a toxicness in your life that you can immediately eliminate. People that aren't just – even can pretend to be happy for you in a moment need to go. Right. They need to go. Well, because you can get pulled into those. It's easy to get pulled into those rabbit holes of like, oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. I didn't get this. And I someone did this and everything fucking sucks. You know, like it's it's so easy. It's it's I feel like it's enough of a challenge day to day to just by yourself, you know, not get right. pulled into those things, much less have that factor in your life. But I think people don't realize sometimes they can take a step back and sort of actively sidestep some of that because it, I don't know. I've all, I'm genuinely, I genuinely get happy for people when they like, if I have friends and they get a show or some new thing happens or they like something kind of pops or explodes for them. I genuinely get happy because I was very influenced. I don't know. This must've been like 20 years ago. I think maybe it was Harold Ramis said in an interview, like, well, there's enough room for everyone to succeed. You're not really in competition with anyone. And it was very impactful to me because I was like, oh, my God, I never thought, of course, it's a big business. And now it's a bigger, you know, it's a wider business now. So isn't it kind of fun to watch people that you love and respect and you know are funny? Isn't it fun to watch other, the world kind of discover that about them and watch people sort of evolve into you know, these places that no one ever could have predicted. I don't know. I always, that's one of the things that I love about being in the business a long time is seeing everyone's path and seeing how they manifested and how everyone kind of becomes who they are. I, I happen to love that part of the communal aspect. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about going into like a general meeting with like a studio person or somebody like that. That's just like wants to sit down and chat with you and you realize you're kind of the same age and you realize you moved to LA at the same time. And you think like you're looking at him or her and she's looking at you or him and you all move, you know, they got here in 1998. They lived in Burbank. I lived in Burbank. And then our careers led to us being in this room, in the same room together. Right. They went and worked as an assistant at Warner Brothers and I was doing commercials or whatever. But we ended up in the same place. I love that 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 idea. Two things. And so what I was gonna say about that thinking that, you know, 
I think I would have found a fulfilled life. I know that people that are listening that are actors or performers think it's easy to say, well, it's it's easy for you, Eric or Chris or whomever that have found that success to say like you would have been fine. And 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 what I want to say is I don't I don't know. I don't know what I would have been like had I not gotten Modern Family. The show became the huge giant hit it became. And I didn't get to do that. I, it would have been a big blow to me. I was at a place in my career where I was deciding, trying to kind of figure out if I wanted to stay or if I wanted to go. I had a great conversation, oddly enough, with an actor from Super Troopers. Or not Super Troopers, but um, what was the space movie we just talked about? Oh, Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers. Marshall Bell, he's a great character actor, um, and he became a good friend of mine, and, and, and it was before Modern Family, and I was on the phone with him, and he's from Oklahoma, and he talks like this, <laughs> and he said, Eric, what the hell else are you going to do? Can you type? And I said, no. He goes, can you sell real estate? And I said, well, no. And he goes, then you got to stay in the business, man. You got too much traction. You got to <laughs> stick it out. Stick it out. And, <laughs> You know, Marshall. Marshall's the guy in Starship Troopers that's in the little in, in the little cubby, going, "No, I don't want to die. I don't want to die." That's that's Marshall Bell. Right. Uh, he's Quato in. Um, oh, what's the science fiction movie? With Total Arnold? Recall. Yep, he's Quato. Anyway, so Marshall was an influential person there. So I was at a I was at a valley in my career. So I, I, I don't know what would have happened had I not got that job. I, it may have propelled me into something else, but what I goes back to what I said earlier is I never tethered myself to make it or break it. I always thought like, look, I'll know if it's not right. I'll know when to get out. And the motivation that I have inside of me to succeed wasn't to succeed as a, an actor on a TV show. It was to succeed in life. So I truly believe I would have found something else that would have fulfilled me and made me just as happy uh, as as the success that you know I, I've had with with the show. Well, the, and and the thing is, you don't have to worry about that because it worked out the way that it worked out. But the great thing is that even hearing that you were having that kind of existential crisis right before. You know, it's you never know what's a, you just don't know what's around the corner and you think you might know what's around the corner, but you don't. And I'm sure before you got that job, it probably just felt like, well, I don't know if this is ever going to work out, you know, and then it did. So it I do believe there is a, a lot in this business of staying in the game. And it, but even even the idea of like, you know, saying like, well, I'll know when it's not right anymore. I mean, it's still trying to find ways to evolve if a certain path isn't necessarily working doesn't mean like, well, it's all gone to shit, you know? It's like maybe that will force you to adapt and create something new, you know? Well, yeah, the medium of filmmaking and making your own movies changed while we were making it in this business, you know? If you didn't have a deal with Kodak... And Panavision, you weren't making movies. And then all of a sudden you get a video camera in your hand and the, the, the world expands. So, so many, so many more people got the opportunity to, to put their own mark on our business. And so you're totally right that there's just so many more avenues to show casting directors don't want to see you. Okay, well, I'll make my own stuff. I mean, and there's so many people that have made it because of, because of that and their opportunities to create their own shit. Yes, and that is – that is where the internet has been the gift of all gifts because 
we can just connect directly with people. I mean, even, you know, even doing a podcast is, you know, was a crazy idea 15 years ago, you know, almost kind of even 10 years ago. But when the business was still in the market of, no, you know, things that we put our money behind have to be all or nothing. You either have to reach everyone or it's not worth it. And now it's like, no, you, you don't have to reach 20 million people. You can reach, you know, thousands of people and it's still meaningful, you know, like that idea is, um, I don't know. It's, it, it, it is inspiring in that way because it has removed that barrier, but there's a whole generation of people that kind of don't have that, you know, it's that I Gen Xers are probably the last generation that really sort of felt that of like, Oh, I, I don't know if we're, you know, if we're not being validated by a real, you know, like a, a big broadcaster is what we're doing real, you know? And it's like right. everyone who's growing up now, like they don't know any different. It's all just content to them. It doesn't fucking matter if it comes from the ABC app or YouTube or TikTok or whatever. It's just content that they're creating and consuming. Totally, totally uh, accurate there because um... – I have a nine, I have nine year old kids that walk up to me and say, are you the guy on that show? And I'm like, yeah, where, where have you seen it? He's like, Oh, I, you know, I watch it on Disney plus app or whatever it is. They're watching it on their phone. Yeah. Uh, they don't care. They don't care that what that moment meant for all of us when ABC picked up our show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you, are you taking, are you, I mean, obviously we're all sort of taking a break at the moment. Um, culturally and societally, we're taking a break, but do you have ideas about what you want to work on next or what you want to do? Do you already have stuff or do you want to just sit back for a while and figure it out? I don't want to sit back for too long, but I do want to sit back. I mean, you know, like I said, 12 years before the show, I didn't know where my next paycheck was coming from. Then for 11 years, I've had a, I've been gainfully employed and, and, you know, feel comfortable and confident. And so I always just said, I want to equal, I want those to be equal numbers. Uh, I did 12 years of anxiety and fear and I did 11 years of comfort and, and happiness. So give me one year to equal those numbers, uh, <laughs> to make those numbers equal. And then I'll start worrying about if so-and-so likes me or not, or wants me to be in their thing. I mean, I, I we all know how that feels, right? We all know as actors and people to be judged and to just, you know, have that decision made about, Oh, is he too tall? Is he too whatever? Or is he good enough? And so I just want to relax for a minute and not worry about that. And then create, you know, start thinking about conceiving my own stuff, but I don't know what I want to do because I have the advantage or at least the perceived advantage of people getting to know me as an actor playing a character that I'm, I'm, you know, playing a character. I'm not cam on modern family. So that's good um, that now I'll get to go do something else. But, you know, for the average person that's watching the show, they may think that that's just what my personality is. So now uh, when they see me in something else, they're going to think, oh, my gosh, the gay guy from Modern Family is trying to be a serial killer and it's driving me crazy. I have no idea what people's perceptions uh, are going to be when I go and do something different. But I'm excited. And that's why I think it's important to take a little bit of a break. It's just – Give people a rest. Uh, we're going to be on the air. Uh, I think that's. I think that's old. I think that's just Gen X thinking. I think that's us. That that's like pre. Because I understand what you're saying, but I don't think people in general think that way anymore. Because 
everyone does everything now. And so if yeah. you played a serial killer and something, people were like, sure. I mean, look at Cranston. He was goofy Hal, you know, like his, his, most of what he was successful at before were like doing these kind of like animated sitcom performances. Sure. And then he fucking comes along and is like jaw dropping in Breaking Bad. You know what I mean? Like people understand now that we're all have different shades and that you can be. So I don't think, I think if you wanted to do something just super dark or super different or take a, you know, do a limited series of, you know, some kind of like, oh, you know, Stone Street's on the next True Detective or whatever it is. I think people would absolutely accept that because that's just the way our that's just the way entertainment is now, and I think people do do understand that. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And Cranston's career, like he directed a few episodes of Modern Family, and I had a full circle moment with him in this business. I was on a very early episode of Malcolm in the Middle as an exterminator, and he and Jane Kaczmarek were so nice to me as this day day player. They took me to lunch, and it was so great. And they didn't know what show they were shooting when I was on the show. I was like, "So what's the show about?" We're like, "We have no idea." I said, "Well." <laughs> what are your characters' names? It's like, well, I know my name's Hal, but I don't know my last name. We don't know where we live. And then they were putting him in the can. They were shooting him and putting him in the can, and then the show eventually launched. And then years later, you know, at an award show or something where actors all congregate, I, I got to meet Brian again and say, you know, you were so nice to me so many years ago on the set of Malcolm in the Middle. I was an exterminator and just want to – say thanks. And then he came on and directed the show, but his career is absolutely something, um, that I would aspire, aspire to, and, and, and for sure think about a lot. It's just a matter of, again, that utopia we had at modern family of how we shot, how we all got along the working environment, the relationships between all of us is this, that's what I'm most anxious and nervous about moving into the next phase of like, you know, even getting close to recreating that is going to be difficult. Yeah, but you can do that. And because you know how to do it, you've already done it for so long. So if you go and create a show or helm a show or you're the number one on the call sheet, that is what I was talking about before. You have the ability to, you know, to, to, to Ed O'Neill, to be Ed O'Neill or Cranston for a whole new generation of people, for a whole new experience. You can take what you learned and recreate that at a hundred percent. You can do that. Well, that sounds, that sounds awesome. You know, what's the saying? You can't be a bigger asshole who, than the asshole who's number one on the call sheet. <laughs> That's absolutely right. That's absolutely, I've never heard it put that way, but you're absolutely right. And you also do so many other things too. I, do you own part of a baseball team? I did buy into the Kansas City Royals, yeah. I That's bought, so uh, weird. How do you <laughs> – you, how do you own part of a baseball team? What does that mean? What do you do? Do you – I mean, were you going to games? Do you have a box there? Can you be like, hey, uh, team owner Eric Stone Street here? Uh, yeah, kind of in that way. I mean it's the Kansas City Royals and uh, when they were up for sale and they got acquired by a new ownership group or the new ownership group emerged that they were buying the Royals, I just made a phone call and and said, is there room in the ownership group? And they said, yeah. And I said, okay. So I invested uh, just like you invest in other companies. I put some of my 
money in the, into the Kansas City Royals, and um, I don't know what my what my role, if any, is going to be uh, as an investor. But we'll we'll see. It's that's it's exciting, just, though. That's a fun thing to do. That's separate from everything. Yeah, that is passion. That's a passion, I imagine, and it's also a hometown thing. I think you should just start suiting up and showing up in the dugout. Who's going to stop you? Yeah, no one. No one's going to stop me. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. It's it's pretty fun. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see what we'll see what happens. I'm excited to 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 get past all this. You know, all of us to get past all this. Hopefully soon, and the business get back up and running. I mean, you know, it's times like this. You, you know, like <clears throat> I don't know about you, but you, 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 so I always would struggle at times of thinking like, what? Well, what have I chosen to do with my life, and how is that important and worthy and meaningful? And it's time, in crisis, you see doctors and nurses and police officers and firefighters doing all these great things, and you're thinking like, I have a commercial callback on Thursday, right. about as much as I got going on or whatever. And it's times like this, you know, that make you feel that way, but. I have now the experience of being on a show for so long and having so much personal interaction with people um, where they are gracious enough to bring me into a specific moment in their life to tell me how important our show was to them um, in rough times and down times. And it's the same thing for you. Like as entertainers, we do – it's easy to lump ourselves into the asshole community when we see things that celebrities do sometimes and how we, you know, don't do anything to help ourselves. But the, the fact is, as entertainers, we do have a vital role in, 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 in this world and in this life. And especially in times like now uh, where we can add levity and we can add moments of appreciation, we can add our voice to causes and help fundraise and help do things. So um, those people along the way have been fortunate fortunate enough and nice enough to remind me that what what Modern Family was or what Cam was or what any of our roles in any TV shows and movies or game shows or podcasts or whatever, we do add a value valuable part to, to our journey, all of our journey in this life. I mean, it is incredible to watch. And also, you know, one thing I hope is that we are able to sort of reprioritize what's really important when you're seeing these health healthcare givers and and like putting their lives on the line to fight this thing every day and you go oh that is job stress whether or not you know a network is gonna like that's not to me i sort of feel like that's yeah that's not real stress what real stress is life or death situations putting yourself in harm's way for other people contributing you know contributing for the community for contributing for the for the greater good that to me, it's, you know, like, hopefully I feel like, uh, you know, we, that we can all as a society come away and go, yeah, you know, whether or not I got a good comment on that selfie is fucking not (laughs) fucking important at all. You know what I mean? That we can sort of embrace like what is really important, that life is really important about life and appreciating it and enjoying it and embracing it. And that is one thing that I hope that we're, you know, that that we're able to sort of extrapolate from all this. And as a side note, by the way, had you, I saw that you did, um, this is a totally different topic, but I just, I see we're at about an hour, so I don't want to keep you on too long, but uh, I saw that you sat in on AGT. Had you done AGT before? No. Isn't it the fucking, I've done it a few times. It is so much fun. It is a blast. And Howie and Simon, uh, Sophia's a, a, a new judge on the show. So uh, Heidi was out sick. Uh, she just had a cold, not the coronavirus. But she was out, and so they needed uh, a replacement. And Sophia said, why don't you call Eric? So I went in, uh, and they were so nice to me. 
Howie is a legend. Simon was so nice. Of course, I know Sophia. They made me feel so comfortable. It was an absolute blast. I told my girlfriend when I was leaving on the way home, I said, here's what sucks is that's not my job. (laughs) I felt the exact same way because it, I mean, obviously I had seen the show before, but nothing can really prepare you for watching what is basically a live talent show for things that people have just figured out whatever their specific thing is and they have focused on it and they have prepared for that moment. And when it doesn't quite pan out, it's heartbreaking and you hope like that they aren't so crushed that they maybe go away and sort of, you know, like it motivates them to work harder or find a different way in. But when people really nail it, you sort of feel like, holy shit, like they knocked it out of the park in the exact right moment. And that is years of passion, years of commitment, you know, and now I'm invested in these people and whatever sort of, you know, unique thing that they're doing. But it it is such a, I don't know, it, it was so just fulfilling to me as a, as a member of humanity. It was fulfilling to me to be sitting oh my God. at that table watching these people. I loved it. Yeah, I, I, I was blown away. I knew I was going to have fun. I knew I, I mean, without patting myself and breaking my arm too much on the back, I knew I would be good at it for what you're talking about, which is I love other people's talents. I love other people's ability. And even more than that, I love other people's gumption to put it all on the line. I've always been a fan of American Idol. People shit on American Idol and people make fun of it, but my my I've always said, I'm sorry, that all we're watching is people willing to to take the ultimate risk to find success in their life. How can you not think that's a that's a cool and fun show? Um AGT is the same way. So I was very excited when they asked me. I was very excited to be there. <clears throat> I did two episodes. It was right before um, every all the everything hit the fan, and they started pulling audiences and shutting down production. So I, I was able to do two episodes. I hoped at some point they would have me back. Um, it was an absolute blast. Yeah, I, I agree. It was one of my favorite things I've ever done. And you're right; it was just a nice. It was just. Do you nice. still have your game show? The Wall. Yeah, it's on right now. We we you know the thing about the Wall is we shoot like. 20 episodes at a time and then they have programming for the next year or two. So like my, it takes us like less than two weeks to shoot those episodes. So we just, you know, the episodes that just started airing a couple weeks ago, um, we shot, you know, like a year and a, a year, a year and four months ago or whatever. And so it, that's when it must be really nice to be like a normally sized built guy because if I was the host of that you would see my weight like fluctuate up and fluctuate down you're like wow how long ago did he shoot these I should just have wildly different haircuts every time and like grow a beard and then like shave you know shave half my hair and have a mohawk and then like like, you know fat suit yeah yeah (laughs) oh boy yeah that was uh that was 2020 I was uh that was a different time there that back then (laughs) Yeah, that, 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 that is a funny idea, but, uh, you know, the, those shows are, you know, like they're just so evergreen so they can drop them into the schedule whenever. But I, um, you know, I, I know you were on the podcast a handful of years ago, but I just love talking to you and I really appreciate, um, you know, your willingness to do this from home and honestly, just congratulations on making this iconic, you know, being a part of the team that made this iconic thing for so long. I just have no doubt that, 
if you really want to manifest something else that is equally as positive, that you will be able to do that. So I just just enjoy and appreciate because you let me tell you something, kid. You made it. You <laughs> fucking made it. You made it. All right. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to talk to you. And I hope uh, when uh, I don't know when this will be out, but hopefully we'll be closer to getting through all this and then we'll, we'll be able to just like be somewhere in public and we'll, we'll have a hug. We'll hug it out. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Thanks so much. Take care. Be good, Chris. You too. The end. ID 10 T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito.